I would see it as a kind of a partnership, right? So looking at a third-party review organization that has your domain and, and leveraging them as a partner, right, to help you with your business, to provide a quicker pathway to submission. Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. In today's episode, Shauna Monterey and I spoke on the topic of the 3P510K, which is short for the 510K third-party review program. If you're like me, maybe you didn't know a lot about this or what the benefits were, but there are some interesting aspects about this little-known program. For instance, we talked about how utilizing this program can accelerate the submission process or at at least remove some uncertainty around the timeline. We also discussed who this was for. Is it just for small startups or is this something that even experienced regulatory affairs specialists working at large corporations can benefit from? Lastly, we don't usually get into the specifics of costs and expenses, but Shauna even opened up about some of the differences in how much you'll be paying uh, in going the 3P 510K route versus the traditional submission route. Shauna Monterey is the founder of Beanstalk Ventures after nearly a 20-year career as a technical leader. Shauna was responsible for developing strategies and leading a complex global product development program and functional management of software and software quality assurance departments for both startup and mature organizations with an emphasis on the development of medical instruments, life sciences, diagnostics, and clinical applications. She's more than qualified to talk about this program, and you'll see, you'll hear why during the episode. So we hope you enjoyed this episode with Shauna on the 3P510K. Hey everyone, welcome back. My name is Etienne Nichols. I'm the host of today's episode. And today with me is Shauna Monterey. Um, am I saying your last name correctly? That is correct. You did yes. ours, but I'm not going to make you do that. Okay. Oh, yeah. You know, that's one thing that I really struggle with. My mom tried to teach me these different languages with my name like Etienne. But anyway, great to have you on the show uh, from Beanstalk Ventures. I'll just go ahead and let you introduce yourself a little bit and what you do. Sure, sure. Shauna Monterey, a CEO of Beanstalk Ventures, um, about 20 years plus experience in software medical device development, right? So I've been there in the very beginning, um, doing instrument software, um, and then having experience with clearing uh, AI device in the early 2000s. And so we have quite a bit of ex- expertise and understanding the regulation, the origin of everything, the importance of it as well. Very cool. And also, I'll just throw in one other thing that Shauna, uh, you, I really appreciate your flexibility in so many different things. She did a webinar for us a while back. I don't know, this is maybe a year ago. And uh, I had a seed of an idea in my head. I wanted to do an Ask Me Anything session. And right before the webinar started, I said, Shauna, would you be willing to do this? She's like, I think so. And so the very following uh, week, I think it was, we did an AMA and Ask Me Anything session on her webinar topic. And so you were the first of, of that group. And I really appreciate your flexibility. So glad to have you on the podcast today. So what we want to talk about, though, is the 3P510K. Now, this is something that I really was kind of excited when this prop popped up because I've very only seen this, uh, I don't know, peripherally, uh, third-party review 510K, but maybe I'll let you just explain what it is and why we even want to be talking about this today. Sure. So it's amazing to know that it's been around since the 90s. 
<laughs> and it's an amazing program, but highly under under underutilized, unfortunately. Um, so basically what it is, is that FDA credits um, third-party reviewers um, to help with their backlog. If they identify 510Ks, the more known 510Ks, lower risk. Um, and then with the accredited persons, you can go through them directly as opposed to going through the FDA. Um, so we get trained, right? We have uh, special qualifications that we have to be certified with. Um, and then we have to recertify every every three years. Um, the intent of the program really is to fast track, right, to provide an alternate pathway so that um, you don't get stuck into the 510KQ and to kind of offload FDA's plate so FDA can focus on the more critical devices. That's that's a great rundown. I appreciate you throwing that, uh, just explaining that. Um, so on the FDA website, I, I have it pulled up on my computer. The 510K third-party review program kind of gives an overview of how this works. And just like you said, it's... It, and I, I want you to kind of fill in the gaps of my knowledge too, because it's interesting that they have a little timeline uh, uh, infographic. I mean, a mini infographic, I guess. So you send that 510k to that third party organization. They actually review it, tell the FDA what they think the FDA should do. And then the FDA goes back to that third party reviewer and it comes back to the, the actual submitter. So is this more efficient than going straight to the fi to to the FDA, or or what are the benefits of doing uh, going this pathway? The benefits is that many of the third party review organizations will guarantee a, a review date, right? Ah. Lock in your date of when you're going to submit, and then guarantee a turnaround turnaround time. Um, the caveat is is depending on how well your submission is done, that's going to determine the you know the performance and the timeline. And that's true with just submitting directly to the FDA, right? So the better your submission and the more responsive the company is, the faster you'll get it through and approved by addressing FDA's questions or third party reviews question. The thing that's unique about it is that because the company can kind of guarantee the timeline, we know what our queue is. We have a really small queue compared to the FDA. Um, and we have subject matter expertise lined up, is that FDA, once we give our response to the FDA, they guarantee us 30 days. Okay. And that's a, that's a guarantee that they hold by. And we've done submissions before and they've held to that to, to that date. And so you're getting a guaranteed timeline from the FDA of 30 days. Okay. So you have a so you as that third party reviewer, you give a timeline when you'll be done, and then the FDA is 30 days after that. Yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that does seem like a huge advantage. And I, so just looking at the database of third-party review organizations, there are nine companies. And, and so you are one of nine companies, is that correct? correct? Okay. Huh. So why would you say, you said it's underutilized. Why do you think that is? I think marketing. Okay. Um, I think raising awareness is important. Um, people just don't know it exists. Um, yeah. So we did a webinar recently and uh, the team had an idea um, after I had visited the FDA to kind of do a little mini commercial. And usually I don't do that. I just kind of present on some sort of topic. And we found out that people were very interested in the topic and not aware that it existed, even large organizations. And I'm finding more, in, the more inquiries we get, the most inquiries we get is actually from startups. And I think because startups are trying to figure out, you know, they're digging in themselves and they're trying to figure out what's most cost effective for them. And I think they kind of hear from word of mouth with their peers. Um, but from, uh, you know, larger organizations, I think they're used to the standard flow of submission. 
Right. And so they generally have everything they're trained. They know what's changed, but this, um, um, like I mentioned, this program has been around for quite a long time and people just don't know about it. Um, we did approach FDA and had a conversation with them uh, recently, actually, a couple months ago, we went on site, all the third party reviewers got um, uh, uh, an invitation to attend a workshop. And most of us were there. And the main concern was um, getting more third party applicants. Mm. And the feedback from FDA is a marketing issue and FDA is not going to market. Right. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. It, okay. So it's the gap, that's basically what they're perceiving is the gap. We're going to find out. We're spending a lot of time, you know, with this podcast and other activities that we're doing, partnering with third-party reviews to kind of get the word out. So we'll see if that's actually the case. Yeah, that's great. So when I looked at the the 510K or the 3P 510K program on the FDA website, there are some exceptions. So it's not just for any 510K. Is that accurate? How, can you walk me through some of the uh, some of the exceptions and 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 the reasoning behind some of that. Sure, sure. So, out of all the product codes eligible for a five ten k, about fifty percent are allocated to the third party review program. Okay. Of those fifty percent, only about two percent are actually going through third party review. So it's significantly underutilized, right? That's a really low number compared to what capacity we have in terms of availability and also uh, qualification. The idea is when FDA does the allocation, they review the list um, periodically, right? So they do update the list. They haven't made an update for about a year, at least that's my understanding. Um, But when they make an update, they do it based on product risk, right? So products that are more standard, known, et cetera, like let's say maybe an endoscope or uh, EKG recorder, Mm -hmm. things like that, that they deem low risk, um, they would then allocate to the program because it's known there's a known pathway. There's a lot of predicates, a lot of examples. So the review process and showing substantial equivalency is pretty straightforward. When we get an applicant application in though, we do consult with the FDA, even if it's part of the list to consult with them to see if there's any special thing, specialties or any nuances that need to be considered that may make the submission a little bit trickier. Okay. So, okay. That, that makes sense. That, and you actually kind of touched on something that I'm curious about. Um, you said you you actually do c- consult with the FDA when you have one that maybe it's maybe it's outside the realm. Um, so, what it, how, how does this look from a uh, submitter standpoint? If I want to submit directly to the FDA, I think my my reasoning might be well, I want to have a Q sub, I want to ha- be able to talk to the FDA one on one. Are there advantages or disadvantages to that? How does that work with this with this program? Okay, so we still consult with the FDA regardless, right? So okay. Once- an applicant that comes in, then we have a consultation meeting with the with the FDA. So we do engage with FDA throughout. We request documents from FDA. So we have the same access and information the FDA would have, providing we have that conversation with the FDA and ask for that information, right? So that's available to, to us. Um, so that's, I guess, going to depend on reviewer to reviewer. Um, but going back into like maybe specifically the QSUB, you can still do a QSUB and go through a third-party review organization. Okay. You need to communicate with your third-party reviewer, though, that you did a QSUB and you should include your QSUB documentation as part of your submission to the third-party review organization. Okay. We ask for it, 
right? If you've had it, but we're not going to ask specifically, generally, we don't ask specifically for QSA, but we will ask, have you had any interaction prior to us with the FDA? And if so, what was it? And so one thing to keep in mind is that the QSUB is binding. So if you get feedback that's undesirable, let's say mm-hmm. from the FDA, that's binding, you can't skirt through by going through a third party, right? We will find out. Yeah. <laughs> we do have to adhere to it as well. It is binding for us as well. Sure. Now that makes sense. So being one of nine companies, it's obviously kind of a, a rarefied era, it would seem. Um, I know the, the medical device industry isn't huge, but what does it take to become a third-party reviewer? What what did you, being one of those nine, what did you have to go through to, to become one of those? Yeah, so I would say to start, like we didn't think we would get approval, right? We saw the um, advertisement go out right, where they're opening it up every so often for new review organizations, right? So it's a it's a period of time where they'll open it up for, that's when we have to reapply and then they allow new applicants to come in. Okay. Um, one aspect of the qualification is training and real world experience, right? So the expectation is, is that we have done submissions before of similar complexity and mm-hmm. we have that domain and technical expertise to do the substantial equivalency review. Um, the other aspect of it is uh, being involved in audit capabilities or roles previously, which includes either an FDA audit or some other type of regulatory structured audit, right? Having that level of, of expertise in-house as well. And then being able to discern what we know and what we don't know when we have to actually extend um, a hand out either to the FDA to ask very specific questions or to provide very specific um, input into what we're recommending and why to get feedback from the FDA, like knowing when to do that and also knowing when to um, source other subject matter expertise. So okay. I'll give you an example, like when we do the submission, um, if we don't have expertise in-house, we'd make sure that we source that. And so for bio, we had a biocompatibility need with one of the submissions, we didn't try to pretend we're experts or on board to it, right? We definitely didn't have the expertise or skill set. And so we were able to um, bring in a consultant that actually wrote was uh, part of the authoring team of the actual guidance. And so because we have industry connections and relationships, we are able to tap into very high end subject matter expertise to really help facilitate the review. Okay. There's also a guidance document on the 3P510K. I don't know if they call it that per se in the guidance uh, third-party review for the 510K program. What are some, is this something that you recommend a company would look at before submitting to an organization such as yours? Or um, or is this something more along the lines for the actual uh, organizations that are doing the review? It's for the review organization. Yeah. I mean, if someone wants to understand how the process works or to qualify, you know, that's fine. But it kind of defeats the purpose because we've already been accredited through the FDA. Sure. Right. So it's assuming maybe the FDA, you're not trusting what they actually did as part of the accreditation. Right. So those are the requirements to be accredited. Um, we do have to get training and we do have to, uh, we do get audited. There's quite a bit of stuff that happens. And so we're not, trained and audited like we would be for a medical device manufacturer, but there is quite a bit of rigor there around the process to make sure we're doing what 
he expects us to do and we're delivering um, high quality output to them. Okay. Um, they do score us. There's a ranking system. So I don't know if you want to talk about that, but there's other aspects that can be looked into to determine who the best third party review organization might be for you, for your company. Yeah. Let's talk about the ranking system. How does that work? So it's a grading system, um, but they only start grading once you have done, I believe, five or more. Okay. And so if you look us up, you won't be able to see our grade, but our, our but our grade for our submission was A+. We got the best score, <laughs> and the FDA was actually impressed with our submission, saying it was a very complex submission because we pride ourselves on high-complexity development. So it was highly complex, but also very well done where the FDA didn't have any additional questions. But that's our goal as an organization. Yeah. We purposely try to do that because if we go and do the first part of the review and work with our client on a set of questions, right? And our client gives us feedback and addresses all those. And then we give a recommendation to the FDA and the FDA comes back with gaps. Then I feel personally, right, from a business perspective, yeah. we didn't get enough job. And so how do we do a better job so that we can minimize the back and forth with the FDA so that 30-day clock is legitimately a 30-day clock? I love that idea because it's almost as if you already have gotten into the mind of the FDA. You are I mean, you're representing the FDA to a certain extent, and uh, you can have that back and forth with uh, with the company, and, and the company is not necessarily going to be as intimidated, especially if it's their first time. I think that's a really fantastic program. I mean, that's that's really cool. Do you anticipate? Well, let me see how to phrase this question. When you make that recommendation to the FDA, um, you got an A plus, and so I think that's fantastic. I, I just seeing you work, I. Not surprised. Um, are other companies? How likely is it that the FDA would come back to a third-party review and have a difference of opinion on that recommendation? Do, any opinion there? I don't have any statistics yeah. on that, but I knew that I know they do. And I guess I can touch a point. Um, another topic, uh, a point that we should discuss is yeah. um, feedback around those that have used the third-party review organization. Yes. So we've had customers reach out to us um, for consulting work. And we've mentioned we're a third-party review organization. They're like, yes, we know that's how we found you. But what ends up happening is we get feedback on the third-party review and um, complaints about the program for those that have used it. Okay. And the main complaint is they perceive the third-party review organization, to your point, as the extension of the FDA. And so when the review goes through the FDA, they would expect it to pass because they've already dealt with the um, third-party reviews questions. And so they already know what the recommendation is going to be based on those questions. And so there has been cases where the FDA has gone back with very significant findings that will cannot be addressed in a reasonable amount of time. And I'm talking about findings and testing where they have to go back and test, mm. findings in the design where they have to go back and remediate the design. Those are significant. And so yeah. when I mentioned what we do as an organization, we're a little bit more expensive, actually. And the reason for that is because we bring in the subject matter expertise to make sure that doesn't happen mm -hmm. because we want to guarantee that timeline. And so if you spend more up front with someone like us, right, and again, you can qualify the other third-party review organizations. They're all very different in terms of how they actually handle the reviews, we have like basically, you know, requirements that we all follow. So it's all the same, but our pricing model and business model might be a little bit different. 
And so our pricing is a little bit, a little bit more, and it's not significantly more, it's about 10 K more. Um, but we do pride ourselves in bringing in that subject matter expertise because we don't want to provide a recommendation on something where there's ambiguity. Okay. Now, when, when that, uh, let's say, and maybe not your organization, but another third party, whoever it may be, makes that recommendation. The FDA comes back with those significant findings, like you said. Is there opportunity for the third party review organization to uh, push back some and have some discussion to mitigate some of that testing that may have to occur? Or um, what are your there's thoughts there? pushback, but there's clarification. So let's say I provided a submission to the FDA, a recommendation to the FDA. And I said, yeah. you know what, based on this, there's, they've proved substantial equivalency. We recommend that they they get approval, right? Okay. Let's say FDA comes back and said, that's great, but their usability is missing A, B, C, and D, and there's a risk here, and they didn't appropriately mitigate this potential design flaw um, in their cyber submission. As a third-party review organization, I can go and look at the submission and clarify with the FDA to say, yes, they did, and here's why. Okay. But I can't necessarily argue with the FDA and say, I don't I don't agree unless I'm able to prove, right? To say, no, I don't think they need validation or usability testing. Sure. Or, yeah, they don't need to address this risk in, with cyber, right? Unless I'm able to justify it just like the organization would. Okay. Right. And so based on our knowledge of the review, if there's a gap because we didn't communicate well from the client, from our review to the FDA, we can bridge that and provide clarification and justification, mm-hmm. right? But if it's something that we missed, like yeah. we can't justify it, then it has to go back to the um, the client. Okay. And you mentioned that each company, maybe they're a little bit more specialized than uh, than the others for one specific thing. Um, I looked. I'm just looking at the current list of FDA recognized 510k third-party review organizations. You know the nine that are there. Um, you can click on each one, and what is that showing me? So I can see um, anesthesiology, uh, clinical chemistry. Are these the things that you, uh, your organization, is special that like specializes in and and is approved for or recommended for? Or what? It, w- tell me about that. So when we go through our accreditation process, we have to identify the product codes that we want to be able to clear, and so that requires a certain level of domain technical expertise, right? Clinical expertise, etc. Okay. And so from that perspective, if you go and click on a company, those are the device codes that they're able to. Um, clear. Okay. So if it's not on the list, then they're not qualified to do that. And that doesn't mean they can't be qualified or they're ineligible. They just didn't apply for that particular product code. Yeah. And so if you start seeing a trend, you'll see there's the companies that have a lot of PP&E type of product codes or like really simple surgical devices. Um, I say simple because I mean, from a technical complexity, right? Like a, a knife or surgical knife or something like that versus a very complex electromechanical software device. Um, you can see a split there. Us as an organization, that's where we need the split. So we only do electromechanical devices that have software and software and firmware. We we basically say that that's the same thing. And FDA recognizes firmware to be a type of software. And okay. so anything that's electromechanical with firmware or software um, <laughs> is, uh, is on our list in general. If there's some that are missing, it's probably we just missed it when we did the sweep to do the accreditation. But generally, that's how it's done. And you have to get accredited code by code. So you legitimately have to list each one. Okay. How often do they update the the list of 
3P5TK review pro- organizations? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it's standard, but I know they look at it probably annually, but I don't know if that's guaranteed. I don't think they've updated that list um, within the last year. Okay. My, my understanding. And you mentioned the grading system. Is it possible, like, if you were to get a failing grade, is are you kicked out or how does that work? No, I don't think so. I think um, it might trigger, it may trigger an audit, maybe, right? Just like if you have a lot of recalls and stuff, I don't know if that's actually, a, you know, an indicator of the, of that. Um, but I think it will show that there's an issue and FDA will probably reach out and have a conversation with that third-party review organization. Yeah. Right? Okay. Because defeating the purpose of the of the program and the rating system is really there for accountability, Right. So if you start seeing someone with really low ratings, you might want to question why. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, I want to kind of point out that of the nine organizations, there's only two that really have substance in third party. Um, and the reason being is because they're significantly older. They've mm-hmm. been around for a long time. Um, so they have more volume and yeah. recurring customers. Um, and then the other reason is because of visibility with the with the program. So the program Just lack of awareness. Yeah. yeah, lack of awareness for sure. And so generally, like you can imagine, like there's nine, right? And two of them are predominantly uh, the main reviewers out of the nine. Who are you going to pick? You're probably going to pick the one with the more traction, right? So then it ends up being kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy where the other reviewers aren't getting the share of, share of the work. Um, for us, we do get quite a bit of inquiries. Um, so we're fortunate that way. Um, I think some of the main things we're seeing with the inquiries is the companies just aren't ready. Yeah. And we will not move forward with accepting a deposit if we feel with that initial conversation they're not they're not ready. And we can tell right away. Yeah. That's good. Any other pros and cons to this program or things that people should really be aware of? I'm I'm curious if uh, you know, I'm it might go back just to a, a typical 510k submission. Um, and the recommendations you would have for any company, because essentially you're submitting a 510k. But I guess the question I would have is, are there any best practices or common pitfalls you see companies getting into when they uh, when when they go to pursue this program? Yeah, I would say, and I think this is just generic. I don't think, well, one, let me talk specifically to the program. Sure. Specific to the program, I think it's just vetting the third-party review organizations and then just knowing that in terms of price and process, they're going to be very similar. But I think really when you vet your review organization, you want to assess their domain expertise around your product, right? And even if they don't have the domain expertise, you want to kind of know enough and have the confidence that they're actually going to go out and source those resources and add them onto the review team so that they can have a high quality review. So I think that's the most important. You know, availability is, you know, important. Cost might be a a factor. But as I mentioned, I think the cost is so in the noise that if that's the factor, like um, I think those review organizations better be tied, right? And the reason why I say that is because you want to pick the best review organization for your um, submission, Right. And if you're doing it solely on price, you're not really looking at um, the impact to your business, right? And the value one review organization would provide to the other, right? If they're vanilla and you see them as both being the same, then yeah, just flip a coin and right, or or go based on cost or whatnot. But they're pretty comparable in terms of in terms of pricing. 
Right. And so one thing we do see is that people coming to us are kind of not serious and shopping around. And so we we know that now because we talk to each other. And so we're just going to kind of move on. So if we kind of pr- anticipate that you're not being very serious and you're shopping around and not ready, then we you may not get the time, the quality time that you you need from us or our attention. So that's something to kind of keep in mind. Um, the other thing, and I, this is just true with any submission, is just being ready right? There is a guidance document on what's required for the submission, right? If you don't understand what's required, it's too early to talk to a third-party review organization. Um, When you're talking to a third-party review organization from a third-party lens, we're not consultants, right? It's just like talking to the FDA. So we're just going to point you to the guidance, right? We're not going to give you advice. Um, although most of us do provide consultancy, which is, uh, you know, a bone, a bonus, um, when you're looking at the third party review program, um, we're not going to be providing you any guidance there. And so yeah. it's really important to make sure that you have the right partner, even if it's a third party review organization that provides consultancy, you have the right regulatory partner. And so a lot of companies try to, um, specifically startups, right? I'm referring mostly to startups, sure. but they try to do the submission on their own. And they'll fail miserably. They'll read the guidance. They'll think they understand it. They'll do the submission on their own. They'll pay the fee. And then they won't be able to respond to the questions because the gaps are so huge. And so it's really important to have someone cross-review your submission if you don't have an expert cross-reviewing your submission as part of your team prior to submission. That will increase your chances to success because they know what to look for. And so what you want to do is you want to minimize the back and forth between yourself, the review organization and or the FDA, um, because you're just killing time. And so you really want to put your best foot forward. It's not a pathway to get a first pass and use it as a filtering process. And we've gotten feedback before. They're like, oh, we can pay you and you'll do the first review and then we'll know what our gaps are. And then we'll go to the FDA. And once we hear that, we're like, no, that's not the intent of the program. If you're not ready, we can do an audit right as a separate service but if you're not ready don't use us as a as a filter it's not it's not a good idea yeah i think that's an important distinction to make i appreciate you making that distinction that you're not a, in this instance you're not yeah. operating as a consultant yeah. but a third party organization may offer that service as well so exactly. that's that's handy to know and and i can see that being a huge advantage if you utilize it that way but knowing what you're what you're there for is important okay um Man, I had another question. I just lost it. Uh, so that that makes sense. What are um, what about you mentioned startups and doing it for the first time? Is this beneficial to a regulatory expert who maybe they've got a few submissions under their belt, um, and then they're in a large organization, you know, maybe a a, a mid level company? Uh, and how how should they be looking at this program? I would see it as a kind of a partnership. Right. So looking at a third party review organization that has your domain and and leveraging them as a partner, right, to help you with your business to provide a quicker pathway to submission. And so these organizations generally know how to do a submission. You know, generally, I mean, to not get back questions is unusual, right? So even if you're awesome at what you do, like the reviewer is going to find things, there are going to be gaps there. You're not going to be sure what lens they're looking at it from, right? Because everyone has a different like angle or like specialty expertise that they're going to tend to dig down on. And so generally you're going to get responses back, right? For clarity. Um, 
And then when that happens, you know, that's fine. That's just part of normal part of the process. But I would say for a large organization, it really saves time and time to market's really important, right? And so you, you see these timelines, especially with large organizations, they understand the FDA timeline, yeah, right? With a startup, they'll look at the FDA website and be like, oh, it's 180 days or whatever it's being claimed and mm-hmm. assume that's the case, right? But it's not the case. And so when you're building out a large program and you're doing a launch, you know, whether a big organization does a U.S. launch first or EU, it used to be we used to do EU launches first and then U.S. And now there's a switch because of EU MDR. Um, when that's being done, they're estimating six to nine months of the uh, regulatory part of the process. And so what that does is actually put stress on the development team because there's six to nine months of kind of unused time. And if you're strategic enough, you can build in some of the development after the after the fact while you're getting the, the approval. But the key thing there is if you make any design changes, you're going to have to make sure you, it doesn't impact your substantial equivalency. So a lot of organizations don't like to do that. They want all development 100% complete before the submission. So you have this six to nine months of kind of time that you could have used for R&D. Yeah. And so it gives you more R&D time, basically, if you look at that per- from that perspective, more R&D time and faster time to market and more predictable time to market. So when I first started hearing about this, my immediate thought was, this seems like a great program for startups, for someone who's never done it for the first time. But that distinction, you said, this is not a filter for you know just, just getting a first pass. I almost now my mind is sort of thinking, okay, now I'm a regulatory expert in a big company and I'm used to submitting to the FDA, but why would I go to the third party review? I'm actually thinking, okay, wait a second, I could go to this third party review and now I have a more concrete deadline uh, or timeline that I can give my project managers, that I can give to upper management. And uh, I can limit that uncertainty. The things that are outside my control, now I have a little bit more certainty around. And that is actually pretty huge. Having been in project management, I was a PMP. Um, and I guess I still am. I think I've maintained it. But anyway, uh, that is huge. Controlling the things that are outside your control is is pretty powerful. So I can see that being a huge boon. And even a uh, knowing that and being able to articulate that to management to get the funds needed to, to maybe just a slightly additional um, could could be an additional uh, way of way of getting that that access to this third-party review program as well. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And the third-party review program, like the cost is comparable to the submission cost of the FDA. You do not pay the fees twice. So one question that we have is, okay, do we pay you and then we go and pay the FDA, right? The Medufa fees. And no, mm-hmm. that's not the case. You pay us instead of paying the FDA and it's comparable. I think the FDA is what, maybe 20K right now and the third-party review organizations are anywhere um, from 20, maybe 18K, depending on the device type, 18K to um, 30, 35K. Okay. So, it's com- so I think it's comparable. Obviously, if you're a startup and you're pinching pennies, 10K makes a significant difference. But you have to look at it in terms of the value of time to market. And a lot of startups have a dependency on regulatory clearance for fundraising because a lot of investors deem that as being high risk. They don't want to invest in a company that they don't understand the complexity or the safety impact or the risk from a regulatory perspective. So it's almost like if you're able to get a product cleared, it provides a a sense of assurance 
from your investors, like, okay, this hurdle has been achieved. It's going to get cleared. I don't have to worry about that uncertainty because it's been cleared here. Now I can go ahead and make a follow on investment. And so you have to look at it from both perspectives. One is this, you know, additional funds or fees that I'm going to pay going to unlock investors faster right? If you have pent up investors that express that concern, which they probably will. And then two, is this going to enable me to get to market faster, right? And for startups, I think, you know, time is money, Um, even for large organizations, but large organizations can weather that storm, right? Mm -hmm. If large organization has a launch that's six months late, right? Maybe people are not going to get fired and maybe you're still going to get a paycheck, right? Assuming that it's not that business critical, but big, large organizations generally have a reasonable buffer. I've seen products three years late and nobody lost their job and we're still struggling to try to get the product launch on on time for like technical complexities and stuff like that. But for a startup, a month could be detrimental, right? Because Mm -hmm. of cash flow. Yeah. And I I don't know, I am not arguing with you at all in startup, but I might uh, make the argument now that the larger organizations are feeling a little bit more just due to the economy. Um, and hopefully it goes back to that, oh, three years is no big deal. But right now it might be a big deal. I agree. So. And that's why I was saying typically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the current landscape, we are seeing significant layoffs, like just from um, not meeting timelines, uh, competitiveness, right? Like that your competitors getting there faster quicker, we are seeing that that pressure. And I think the pressure started with COVID, right? That impacted the industry in terms of their ability to withstand, right? A recession and all this other stuff that's happening because COVID was a long time. It wasn't like a six month impact, yeah. right? It was a, a couple years impact on um, even, you know, elective surgery and that, and that type of thing. And then the um, new entrances of digital health is kind of shaking things up. So the big medical device manufacturers are behind. You know, everything's on the instrument. They're not leveraging the cloud unless they started as a cloud company, right? And so there's a a sense of kind of catch up, right? And these these startup companies are more nimble, right? So anything that a large organization can do to be more competitive, get to market faster is definitely going to be a benefit. Yep, that's that's a good point. That competitive advantage of getting to market first is, is pretty big. Anything else, uh, any last words you have about this topic or how can people find you? What what last piece of advice do you have? Um, they can find us on our website. So www.beanstockventures.com, but also on the FDA website, um, you can go there and you look up your product by um, product type and device and product code. And then from there, you can see the list of third-party review organizations that are qualified for your product. Um, We are listed there. I believe there's there's an email on there. Do you happen to have it up? I think it's three. Uh, Let's see here. I just did have it up. So an email to the, uh, there's a list or an email to each one of the different companies, as well as the website, contact name, and phone number. Yeah, well. so our so, email is on there as well. Yeah. And what's the do you, can you cite the email that's on there? I think it's 3P 3P510K at beanstockventures.com. Exactly. So feel yeah. free to email us. We usually respond within 24 hours. And so if this is something that's important to you, feel free to reach out. Um, we do um, like I said, respond. We meet with every client in person on a call. 
Um, so if there's any questions you have around the program, we're more than happy to help. Even if you're not ready, um, that's fine. We will still meet with you, as I mentioned. But in terms of moving forward with the program from that point on, from once you are aware of how the program actually works with us, then it's really about, you know, if you're ready. Um, I mentioned before, if you're not ready, we do provide services to to be ready. We'll pre-review, do an audit and assessment, and we can even remediate gaps um, across across the board. Um, we have templates and training as well, um, specific to software in a medical device and software as a medical device for those of, that are in digital health. We do provide templates that'll um, help satisfy the, the process. And I know Greenlight also has quality management system and processes as well that also satisfy that. So there's a complimentary there package that you can get to help you with your, with your submission. Absolutely. Love to, we always love working with Beanstalk Ventures and, um, you know, if there's anything we can do to help anyone out, just let us know. Really appreciate you bringing awareness to this topic. And uh, I'm excited to see how this program will grow in the future. It's been around since the nineties, you know, so, yeah. but it's, but it's in that, that slow, I can see some maybe exponential growth in the next few years with some good marketing. So we'll do what we can to help. Thank you. Right. Much, much appreciated. All right. Thank you so much, Shauna. We'll let you get back to the rest of your day. And those of you who've been listening, you've been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast. We will see you all next time. Take care. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, reach out and let us know either on LinkedIn or I'd personally love to hear from you via email. Uh, check us out. If you're interested in learning about our software built for MedTech, whether it's our document management system, our CAPA management system, the design controls risk management system, or our electronic data capture for clinical investigations, this is software built by MedTech professionals for MedTech professionals. You can check it out at www.greenlight.guru or check the show notes for a link. Thanks so much for stopping in. Lastly, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. It helps others find us. It lets us know how we're doing. We appreciate any comments that you may have. Thank you so much. And take care.